Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Joined with me, as always, are my co-host, Joseph. Hello. And Jay Hugh. Christian, I always enjoy the energy that you bring to the beginning because it's, it's it, each one is its own unique snowflake. <laughs> that one, it's, you didn't want to wake somebody up when you came into the room. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that one almost had an NPR-y feel to it, but an energetic NPR. I felt like I almost fell into a hip-hop rhythm there at the end. Like, (laughs) things became very syncopated. But no Ian again this week, still on his honeymoon. I don't know how long that guy's honeymoon is, but it feels way longer than mine. I might even be sadder that he's not here for this one. God, I I feel the same because I don't know if you guys talked to Ian about this, but I definitely did. And Ian told me this was the worst movie he's ever seen in his life. And he feels very confident saying that. <laughs> what movie is it? It's Matrix Resurrections. It's Resurrections, right? There's so that's many that, R words. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Oof. Pass the first test. Um, this one sees the return of Neo and Trinity back in the Matrix, having to figure out what led them there and how they can escape. Uh, as for returning cast members, it's those two, Jada Pinkett Smith, and then all other new people. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. I don't know how to say that guy's name. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Groff, mm-hmm. Jessica Henwick, um, that guy who played Barney Stinson, Neil Patrick Harris. Yep. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. I think yeah. that's everybody of note, uh, including re- probably some that aren't that much of note. Also true. Lana Wachowski mm-hmm. returned to direct this. The other one did not. That's all I got. Okay. Do we have Do any we want- initial impressions on this one? Well, you don't have anything random to say here? Oh, I actually don't this time. Wow. Well, hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell. Jay Hugh, you're the opinion I'm most curious about. So please go first. It's funny because immediately after watching this, I decided I wasn't going to look at any reviews. I wasn't going to listen to any podcast. I wasn't going to talk to anybody about it because I wanted, even if it's embarrassing, my opinion to be my opinion. And uh, I, you know, I just got to say, I I don't know if I can speak about this movie objectively. This will be a little bit heavy, but it'll stop being heavy in a second. So, you know, I have this sort of set of beliefs that uh, a very close friend just the other day told me or uh, tinfoil hat beliefs. But um, basically, it sort of breaks like down like this. I don't really think the worst things happening in society are the fault of the people on the right or on the left. I think it's more the fault of just nobody will shut up about it for five fucking minutes. And I think that really comes from. Uh, social media companies, particularly Facebook and Twitter, profiting on us all being fucking miserable and at each other's throats. And, you know, that's not really an opinion I've seen reflected in a movie before this. So this was just catnip for Jade. (laughs) Uh, So I I really can't speak about it objectively. I just know that I liked it. I will say this. In a bringing together uh, people together sort of way, it's made me much less hard on a group of people I've talked a lot of shit of, which is anybody who's watching like God's Not Dead number nine or whatever one of them. <laughs> like someone who just enjoys a movie because it reflects what they believe. Like I've always thought that was stupid. I've always thought that, uh, you know, that it's dumb, that you can't see that something is objectively bad, even if you agree with its point. Mm. I, I still think Kevin Sorbo sucks, but 
I, I'll give those people more of a pass than I would before. I, I'm going with better than Transformers on this. Uh, the stuff that I don't like about it is much easier to talk about in spoilers. It's a very, even for a Matrix movie, it's very talky. There is a lot of exposition in this movie. And yet somehow it seems like it doesn't necessarily explain everything with all that exposition. Uh, you know, the, the Matrixes before this have walked a very fine line of being very dumb action movies, but also having sort of a deeper meaning that people are still talking about exactly what they are. You, you don't really have to do that with these. They, this hits you really over the head with everything it's talking about. And I don't really mind that, but I can see how some people are. And also, one other complaint with it, I think that there's not one super memorable action sequence in this. There's nothing like Morpheus's rescue in one or the freeway chase in the second one. All the action in it is really good, but there's not one that just blew my mind. But still, better than transfer. Yeah, I um, I read a, a, an opinion that was either you love this movie or you hate this movie. And I felt like I didn't belong anymore because I'm pretty indifferent to it. Like, I, I think it's probably better than Transformers, depending on the moment in the movie. Um, some some are worse than Transformers. Some are really, really dumb. And I did not like them at all. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's really weird. There there's. I think this movie's kind of two movies in one. Like the first half of this movie is very much Matrix One, but with a different perspective. The second half of this movie is kind of Matrix Two with a different perspective. And um, I feel very similar. Uh, I feel probably closer to Matrix Two in my opinions than I do Matrix One. There are things in each half that I really like, and there are things in each half I really, really hate. Uh, I'll get more into the specifics when we get to spoilers, but. You know, for the most part, I just, I, you know, I, I don't I don't hate that this movie exists. Like, I probably have a more opinion, positive opinion of this than I do. Whatever the name of the third one is. Right. Look, I feel like we've been pretty open on this show about the fact that this this podcast is a flimsy excuse to just get together and talk with one another, because as males and our societal uh, expectations we can't just get together because we enjoy each other's company. There has to be an impetus and a reason to sit down and talk. Thus, this podcast that we distribute to other people. Yeah, uh, that's perfect. That was a perfect like description of how this thing came to be. For sure. I mean, SNL has done a whole thing about it. it it's, it's totally valid. It's great. And I, I love it. It's a great way that I get to keep up with you guys. Uh, but weeks like this week make me hate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not mad at this fucking movie. I'm with you. I'm I'm somewhat indifferent to it but i'm just mad that i had to fucking finish it <laughs> because if it was if it was up to me i would have watched like 40 minutes of it tops and then like never thought about it again but it's just been looming over my head for the last week and i have to just eat it in tiny little awful chunks i already knew that because every single time we mentioned this you know doing the podcast when we were going to do it your immediate response was well i guess i got to finish that <laughs> and you said that at least eight times uh-huh. and you said that an hour before we started recording 100 percent. i had 40 <laughs> minutes left i powered through it was fine uh yeah look i mean uh i i uh, i didn't like very much of this movie i would say i i disliked all but maybe two things i don't think it's anyone's fault i think it's you know if people want to watch this and enjoy it it's fine you know good on lana wakowski for cash in get your money girl get out it's fine uh i'm just mad that i had to watch it so that we could do this (laughs) 
that's how I felt about when we did um, that Llama Geddon. This is movie. the worst one that I've watched since Llama Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It might be. It, it <laughs> I, might. This is the problem. I don't know. I'm like, oh, I could totally see that opinion. <laughs> I, I will say there in, we can't talk about it to spoilers, but there's one scene that definitely almost ruins the whole thing for me. It's so hacky. It's so someone just saying, did I just blow your mind <laughs> that I, I almost threw up? But overall, I like the movie. So I think we should just get into spoilers. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, you can go to a theater and do it. But please don't. If you have HBO well, Max or if you know somebody who has HBO Max, please just watch it on there. Please I, I don't give before, this thing anybody. Before we get into spoilers, I think we can talk about some of the first half beforehand. I think we can talk about, I think that, you know, the use of Neo as showing the sort of technological malaise we're all stuck in, his depression, his uh, anxiety. Man, that dude was great at doing that. You know, Neo in the first three movies needs to be a blank space you can fit yourself in. And in this one, he's still he's still something you can fit yourself in, but it's more specific. Yeah, you need Percocet. Right, exactly. I mean, I think Christian's got a good point. It's hard to talk about this movie without spoilers because I feel like a big, I mean, we know that Neo and Trinity are in it, but it's also like, a, you know, I think a main part of the plot is like, how is that possible if you've seen the right. third one? So, well, I mean, we do spend the first half thinking that maybe the whole, the other three movies weren't real. Yeah. And I think we can say before spoilers that I think it's pretty clever that instead of going with the three Matrix movies you watched in this were you've watched before existed in this movie. Instead, they say they were a video game. I think that was a, a pretty good side. Dive. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, we said spoilers, so I think we're fine. But yeah, the spoilers I, from here on out is fine. I, I do kind of disagree with you a little bit hurt. I mean, I do. I do think Keanu is good as Neo in this movie. And I do think in a strange way, more is asked of him, even though he's still kind of the blank slate, clueless guy. Right. Um, but. Uh, what I dislike greatly about the beginning of this movie is I would describe it like the only analogy I could I could really think of when deciding how I would describe my my frustration is that if you were to read Shelley's Frankenstein and then you get to the end of the book and the monster has terrorized the town and they all like bring their pitchforks and their torches to Dr. Frankenstein and he were to go, if you really think about it, guys, I'm the victim here. My dude, have I, you never read Frankenstein? No. <laughs> because that is what happens in that book. <laughs> okay, well, that's what happens in this movie. Because I feel like the first half of it is basically Alana saying, look, I know the Matrix changed the world for everyone, but it's really been my cross to bear for the last 25 years. To which I say... Fuck you. You made something genius. Own up to it and be okay with that. <laughs> right. Uh, that scene with like the pitch everyone, meetings. Like, the pitch meeting, I almost turned it off. Same. I was like, I was so done in that pitch meeting scene because, it, of course, it's all the things we've heard about the Matrix. It's the greatest thing ever. And then it's regurgitating thoughts. And then someone has to give their like, you know, counter. Well, I, it just didn't hit for me. Like it hits for everyone else. Like I wanted to be like, "Fuck you!" Like we get it. I know you've heard that every day since 1999. But you're filthy rich, and you made something legitimately genius. Like I know 
you're, you're right. I mean, it, that whole sequence, that whole part of the movie is just us sitting in, in her place in these meetings with studios and hearing all the comments that she's had to endure and, and listen to over the past 20 years. Yeah, and I, 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 did, I did not like that. With the pitch meeting, the pitch meeting was pretty insufferable, and it actually sets up my least favorite scene in the movie, but I won't get to that yet. But uh, I, I'm just going to say, a second ago, in starting this, I almost said the worst thing I've ever said on the podcast. And now I'm going to say this, and you can probably work out what I almost accidentally said. If she had any guts (laughs) (laughs) in that peach meeting, one of them would have said it was all a ripoff of Grant Morrison's The Invisible. Mm. Because the the original Matrix is a direct ripoff of a comic book called The Invisibles. And like if if she was really going for it in that scene, she would have done that. I would have respected the hell out of it. There's a, a tweet from uh, a comedian called Yadoye Travis that was, The Matrix Resurrections is a movie about not wanting to make a movie. And I, I don't think that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, the other, a lot of people make a big deal out of the, like, the Warner Brothers bit, how they're going to do it without them, them being Neo in the movie, her being it in live action. And I, don't, I didn't take that the way everyone else does. Like, I, I feel like, that is just a very self-aware joke, but I guess right. people are reading into that pretty hardcore. I don't think she didn't want to make this movie. I think she absolutely did. And I think if you look at how the movie ends, it very much speaks to kind of regretting how, you know, it's, it's like Lucas getting to remake the original series a hundred times and keep adding new scenes and new lines of dialogue, except this one's just like, okay, we're just going to completely rewrite the ending to the story of Neo and Trinity. Right, right. Um, but, but, uh, I was going to say, do we want to, since we're, since we're kind of talking about making a movie without them, do we want to talk about the recast in this movie? I mean, definitely, that's what I was about to bring up. Um, right. You know, uh, I mean, you know, they, you know, it's funny because they kept a lot of these secret, uh, kind of, but then the second trailer was almost like, hey, we're not really trying to keep these secret. You should be able to figure this out. So, uh, so I don't know how much of this is spoilers or anything, but uh, I mean, obviously the best relationship in the, in the original trilogy is not Neo and Trinity is not Neo and Morpheus. It's Neo and Smith. That's anytime those two are on screen together was the best part of those movies. So recasting Smith was an uphill battle, but I am very pro Jonathan Groth. I think I've said that many times on this and man, did I think he was a great recast for Smith. He was good at doing the bits and he was good at doing something new. And anytime those two were on screen together was the best part of this movie. And the worst part about this movie is that there wasn't more. So here's my, not my counter argument, but I just don't get it. So you please explain it to me. Why does Smith exist in this movie? Oh, I don't know why anybody exists in this movie. I'm assuming there's going to be another movie that explains that. I was I wasn't even going to get into like the attempting the logic of this movie because that's that's a whole rabbit hole that I'm not even prepared to to care right. about. I mean, I'm just saying from the perspective of like the architect, right? Like if I'm the architect and I'm like, "Oh, I keep rewriting the matrix for shits and giggles." I would not write the the program that almost destroyed the matrix and the human civilization and everything. I would simply well, just not do that again. So I don't understand character motivation wise why Smith exists. Well, and also when, you know, if it's it says pretty early on, the thing that causes Neo to evolve is Smith and Morpheus. 
why would you want one of the things that made him evolve to exist? Correct. He has to write Morpheus. Like that's right. That was his thing. Is that he he came up with that Morpheus program. So, but why? I I just don't get why Smith is in the movie. I guess is really my point. Everything else I can kind of justify, but that I, one I just don't get. I've just assumed that they gave me no information for this. But what I assumed is by this point that he can't be deleted. He's a virus. Mm. You know. Uh, you know, he's what he accused humans of being. And, you know, you can't, I, I guess this was just a way of controlling. That was, I, I, I don't know. I feel like that was the whole point of the end of the third movie. But yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things that I didn't feel like I, you know, again, I didn't want to do this, but here we are in the logic of this movie. You know, one of the, the big like changes in, in, you know, since the 60 years since Neo's been wherever he's been uh, is that now there are, machines that want to be free too um and they're like you know uh, uh sentient programs that are now on the human side uh which is you know where morpheus is is included in that or at least you know whatever this version of morpheus but like i also don't understand how that works because all the programs are based in the source so like where do they live if they're not there and if they're not there if you know they're just sentient programs that live somewhere else do they operate as the same rules as people when they're in the Matrix? Because for people, there are mortal stakes. Not very much in this movie, but in the original ones anyway. You know, like, what happens to your body in the Matrix happens to your, your body in real life or whatever. Your mind is blah, blah, blah. You get it. But, like, how does that work for fucking programs? I mean, I did kind of get the impression that Morpheus could die. But, like, but... why? Like, what? No, I mean, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm just saying. I felt like that at the time. But now that you're saying it, I'm like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's like I said earlier on, this movie talks a lot trying to explain to you what's going on and does but, a really bad job. But yeah, it still doesn't cover it all. I mean, we I, we're, I, we're talking about the first half. I, I kind of want to move to the middle a little bit. Uh, I just... The only thing I want to get in the, about the first half that uh, will not come up in the second half. I don't know who that guy is that was like Keanu Reeves' bro co-worker. But right. cast that guy in more shit. He was absolutely fucking insufferable. I hated him so, so much. <laughs> and like, I mean, you know, that's a that's a legitimate uh, role. I think that <laughs> more things could use. Dude, I, totally. I saw some preview on this for some new uh, Sandra Bullock rom-com that, first of all, I was very excited about. I was like, I'm ready for that. But if the rom-com's coming back, goddamn, is this guy needs to be the annoying co-worker in every single hundred percent. Yep. Much like the sequels to this movie, to the original movie, this movie gets bad the moment we get to a human. I mean, it's bad beforehand, but it takes a sharp turn for the worse when we get to human civilization outside of the Matrix. Yeah. I did not enjoy the concept of IO, which just fucking leave it Zion. I mean, did, <laughs> so did y'all see the, the bad dub over, I can't remember the actress's name, Bug? whatever uh when she tells neo what the name is because it's not io it was clearly something else earlier in the script some people are saying io but apparently they didn't have time to go back and reshoot some of the other people oh uh, i wonder i want because i mean i assume it still wasn't zion but i wonder if it what it was supposed to be zin it's just the z in the end yeah Jada Pinkett Smith's really bad in this movie, guys. I mean, look, Jada Pinkett Smith's makeup is also really bad in this movie. That's fair. I mean, it's probably not all her fault, but it's some of it is definitely her fault. 
of all the people to return, why did they ask her back? I know. I mean, I ask fucking Roy Jones back before you ask her. Back. <laughs> uh, Pensacola's finest right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, why not, why not do Morpheus? Like you could have this cool bit where real Morpheus meets program Morpheus. And that just sounds interesting to me. I would have taken fucking Roland. I asked him back because he, you know, looks so old and worn out now, but fuck, he was playing old and worn out. It would have been fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that decision. (laughs) Um, and I did not like it. (laughs) <laughs> strawberries man fucking strawberries i did like that she was just functionally the irrational cop from every buddy cop movie we've ever seen no that's a good point she <laughs> gave me your badge and your gun you're yeah. done totally yeah. yeah she she is 100 percent the the uh captain who's had it in every 70s detective 100 percent. yeah i did like jessica henwick though bugs I thought she was really good in this, and I, I and I liked her kind of like rebel ship captain shtick, the Morpheus bit. I thought she was pretty good in that. Man, yeah. the pro- the problem with doing a Matrix now is that like I understand that I think the the costumes as a whole were not a far cry from the original, and it's like sixty years, and it's like I don't know. I could see like how they're trying to do it as like these are are how the costumes and the you know the the fashion from the original Matrix is translated in, in sixty years later. But now everything just looks like fucking cosplay to me. Uh, and all right. these all these people just look like dumb assholes to me. <laughs> yeah, because nobody dresses like that. So one thing that I did really, really like about this movie, and I'm interested to hear y'all's opinion. Neo never picks up a gun. Neo That's ne- true. He doesn't. Neo never fights anyone in this movie. He takes a purely protective role. His powers are almost exclusively shown as like shields to protect other people. And I thought that was an awesome decision, especially as since that guy has gone on to make, you know, essentially the sequel series to this, the John Wick movies. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't I don't know. I really that really connected with me. I thought that was really cool, too. I, I liked that his power set was different and he had to learn how to use it. And because he had went through a different journey in this. He used it in a different way. That was one of my favorite things about the movie. Oh God. Yeah. I hated that about this fucking movie, man. This is going to be a tough conversation. <laughs> I, I don't know. How, I don't know how to bridge these gaps. Yeah. It, it really like the, the whole, you know, very arbitrary random, like force power set really irritated me in this movie. I mean, it's one of the things that's not great in the, the second and third one is the powers are, whatever you need them to be, but these are even more annoyingly that way because they're exactly as feeble or as strong as they need to be for the, for whatever the, the narrative tension. And that fucking is annoying. Like you got to have rules. Otherwise there's no stakes. I feel like it, it progressively gets stronger. The more he understands what's going on. And then obviously he basically gets his full power set back when Trinity comes back. But, I did. It didn't really seem to me to be as arbitrary as you're making it out to be, but maybe I just liked it too much. I forgave it. I was about to say, I think that might just be a generous assessment. Hurt, what were you going to say before? Joseph I was going to say, I'm wondering if you guys can guess the part that pissed me off. Is it that love is a superpower? No, because love's a superpower in every fucking movie. Who cares about that? I uh, like that bit, too. To lead you into it, I will say. We find out that the ma- that the, you know the architect and the uh, oracle no longer exist, and there's a new person running the matrix. I could not stand the fucking bullet time bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the setup in the fucking uh in the in the fucking pitch meeting and then like oh guess what bullet time is real in our thing and i'm using it against you it was so fucking stupid because the whole point of bullet time isn't that bullet time is a thing that's happening it's that you're moving so fast that everything else seems to be moving slow so if it was working like that how would neo even be able to perceive what neil patrick harris is saying to him yeah Man, on a related note, fuck. See, I don't, I don't even care enough to argue about these things, but you brought them right up, so I have to because they're right in front of me. A lot of, so many of the like actual like movie making techniques here drove me fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, you know the bullet time where Neil Patrick Harris is moving at like this blurred like twelve or six frames per second bullshit is like a bad, ugly technique that they tried in the 90s, and it was ugly, and so we stopped doing it. And I, I did not like that at all. The bits where he's supposed to be in bullet time and Neo is, you know, in whatever, I don't know, whatever the fucking slow motion. It's very obvious that fucking Keanu Reeves is just normally there in real time and just moving slowly, and that shit looks <laughs> fucking awful. I hate it, it, it so, so much. It looks like when you're a little kid and you're in the pool and you're doing the slow walk. That's exactly what it fucking looks like. It drives uh, me nuts. Um, what's so frustrating about that is after that Quicksilver scene that perfected how to do fast moving things, everyone has been so much like, oh, we don't want to do that shit that they've made it worse. Like, right. just just rip it off and do right. it well. Um, be, also, but try, the Matrix has earned its right to rip off whoever they fuck for sure. An axe move. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're totally right. I, I also on on a filmmaking note, I was just reading the trivia to this movie, and it makes sense having watched it. Is apparently in the original movies, they went out of their way to use as much artificial lighting as possible, whereas in this one, uh, Alana wanted to get more like natural lighting in it. And I don't understand why she doesn't think that the the whole artificial lighting for everything really goes along with the theme of this fucking movie. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I, it was something that bothered me is that it doesn't really look like a Matrix movie. Yeah. It's not this, green enough for you. Yeah. This movie also had a thing that... Uh, it was one of those things where I decided there was going to be a payoff, and when it didn't happen, I was pissed about it, but that's not really the movie's fault. What were you and, expecting? Uh, okay, you know, I mentioned earlier that they ripped off the whole premise from this movie for a comic. So, you know, I'm already looking for comic book things in this. Are, are either of you were familiar with the story? Uh, it's by the same team as Watchmen, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Uh, it's a Superman story called uh, For the Man Who Has Everything. No. Yes. Okay. Well, the premise of the story is this. Uh, a Superman villain named Mongol finds this plant that once it attaches it to your body, it gives you your fondest wishes as a fantasy life. Mm. and there's this really like super hard so in it krypton never explodes superman uh stays on krypton of course he has a wife and a kid he's raised by his parents he has like a you know sort of mundane bureaucratic life on the planet but there comes a part in it where he starts to realize that this is fake and he's going to have to escape to save everyone from mongol and he's with his son and he has to look in his son and I, his eyes and say, you know, I'm realizing that you're not really real. And it's fucking heartbreaking. And I thought Lana Wachowski was going to rip off that scene in this with fucking um, with Trinity and her children within the Matrix. Mm. 
But when we actually reached that scene in this, she was like, oh, fuck these kids. Yeah. I'll tell you on a, on a reverse note, one of the things I was expecting out of that exact same scene is after she says she wants to go back and the husband like grabs her and starts like trying to like really restrain her and she pushes him off. I thought the kids were going to grab on and start start fighting her, too. And that didn't pay off either. Totally. That that would have been the way to make mine not paying off work if they suddenly turned into bloodthirsty monsters. <laughs> I fucking love that moment. Uh <laughs> Yeah, because I think when you go back and you look at the, you know, it's calling back to the scene in Matrix One where um, Smith call, keeps calling him Mr. Anderson. And he's like, my name is Neo. Like that bit, I, I feel like anyway. And again, you we could just overthink the Matrix in this movie all day long. But, you know, they kind of references this idea that, you know, as a man or as a dude, you're known as what you give to society. And that's his his work name. You know, he's Mr. Anderson. That's what you report to when you're at you're at the job. You're called by your last name. And I think in this moment, when it's her husband and her children, it's kind of calling to what society puts on women, which is that, you know, you're you're the wife, you're the mother, you're the help me. And like, fuck you, you can be whatever you want to be. And so it's those things that are calling to her. And I, I just feel like it mirrors the the societal expectation you see on Neo in the first film. It's just you know, switches gender roles in this and societal expectation on women. And in both moments, it's them breaking out and getting to choose who they want to be. I can get on board with that. I like that. You talked me into it. <laughs> uh, I mean, we only got a, a couple minutes, but the, there are two things I really, really fucking liked in this movie. Um, the first is I kind of love the love is a superpower moment in this because Neo is not the one because he is just the one. He's the one because Trinity is in love with him. That was the whole thing in Matrix One. And I like that they go back to that um, in this. And I that, agree. I like that a lot. I, I also agree. And I, that, that leads into the one of the two things that I liked in this movie. I don't think that Keanu Reeves is good in this movie. I think he's even worse than he is in the original one because he just seems old and slower to respond when people talk to him. Uh, but for whatever reason, for whatever fucking reason, him and uh, and fucking Trinity have great chemistry. I don't, They're I don't so get good it. together. I don't understand why because I don't think he's good in any other part of this movie, but I think the two of them really work. Yeah. Yeah, I anytime I see them together, I want to watch them do it, even though when I got to watch them do it, in the Matrix Three, it was horrible. <laughs> you don't. I mean, there's the weird, the weird Zion orgy going on while that sex scene happens. And right. It's uncomfortable. The whole scene's yeah. uncomfortable. Um, the other thing that I really like about this movie is that it is much more a hero's journey than uh, the Matrix originally is. Um, everyone thinks Star Wars is hero's journey. It's fucking not. It's what's what we call the American monomyth, which is that to succeed, you must sacrifice. Obviously, Darth Vader sacrifices his life to defeat the Emperor. In Revenge of the... Or in um, fucking the last one, Rise of Skywalker, Kylo sacrifices his life so Rey can succeed. Sacrifice is always required. In right. The Matrix 3... Neo has to sacrifice Trinity to fight Smith. And then he ends up sacrificing his life. And that shit is not Campbellian. That is not the hero's journey. The hero's journey is that the journey makes you qualified to beat the necessary evil odds. Uh, best example I can give is Princess Bride. This movie kind of retcons it and allows for a more Campbellian hero's journey story. And I think we need more of that. Uh, it's very classic for us to say all of our fiction in, in all of our fiction to say to succeed, you have to lose. And uh, I don't 
I don't think that's always healthy for us. I think we kind of need stories where guess what? You can win and you can live happily ever after. That's what we learned in all these fairy tales growing up. And we don't write fiction that way anymore. And it makes me sad. And I am I just happy that this exists, which is why Ian hates this movie, because that's exactly what The Last Jedi does. <laughs> uh, Christian Jones, I loved every fucking word of that. Oh, 100% agree. Your assessment there better than Transformers, except for the dissing Ian part. I don't want to feel like I'm piling on to Ian. Oh, I'm not dissing Ian. I'm saying Ian, like, Ian hates Last Jedi, right? Well, that's yeah. Last Jedi is trying to do the same thing. Like, right. it's. It's saying that the story, the circle is not complete and it's set. It is setting up like reverse Padme and Anakin, except this time they win and they're good people. And then, of course, Tross doesn't do that. No, I was going to say, then I go back. I do 100% agree with you then, because I that's why Last Jedi is the last one for me. So we're definitely on the same page. Yeah, if you don't like, and that's totally fine to not like that form of storytelling. Like, right. I'm not dissing Ian. The American monomyth is incredibly popular. It is, the, it is the mode by which most American fiction is written. However, I'm just saying, I like classic Campbellian hero's journey, and we don't have near enough of it in fiction. Like, this is what makes the story of Wesley and Buttercup so good, is that Wesley goes off and becomes the Dread Pirate Roberts, and that's how he learns to save her and defeat Prince Upperduke. Like, again, that movie's kind of dumb, but it's classic hero's journey. Right, right. Christian, I love you, and I value your opinion, but if you say Cambellian one more time in this episode, you're gonna owe me $5. I'll pay you back the $5 <laughs> if you say again. I'm loving it. <laughs> This is the kind of shit that I like research all the time. Like I get bored and I like listen to people talk about Joseph Campbell. It's it's just shit I like. My dentist turned me. No, it wasn't my dentist. It was an optometrist. An optometrist with really bad breath turned me on to Campbell. Just yeah, that was I, fun. I don't have much else to say. I've talked again too much about this movie like I did Spider-Man. The last thing I'll say on it is that, you know, three of us, really four of us having such different reactions from this. It has to say it has some value, even if you hate it. Man, I can't agree with that, but all right. It, leaks, it makes people at least talk. <sighs> yeah. Um, Every, everyone's, mean, you, everyone's talking about it, Joseph. Like That's what people are doing on the internet is bitching about this movie. And, you know, you guys compared it to the experience of watching Lamageddon. We, at best, squeezed out 15 minutes on <laughs> That's true. Uh, so it's very close to the end. In fact, it might be the end of the movie. But do you guys want to take a, a shot at my only other thing that I liked about this movie? Sure. Uh, you know, I think we all probably. Swarm? Did you like the bot swarm? No. I, uh, I like fuck, the bot you, swarm. you got me on a fucking thing now. Well, this is not what I wanted to talk about. But now I have to talk about this. One of the things that fucking irritates me about this, and it happens in the third Matrix and whatever. Um, but, you know, one of the things that the original one does really well is. Uh, again, we talk about like there's a very physical connection to the digital world. Like, you know, we know it's all made up, but like there are legitimate effects to, you know, human bodies for what happens in this in this made up digital world. And like, you know, no nowhere does that hit harder in the original movie than in uh, uh, a Cypher's betrayal. That whole sequence, you know, you're like, holy shit, this is like this is way realer than I expected it to be. And I think that's one of the things that makes that movie compelling because, again, it, it really it sets the stakes really well, like half of your cast is gone. And so to cop out in this one and be like all of the digital life, all of the human beings that sure they're in fucking pods, they're not fucking real, whatever. Like when they jump out of windows and they get hit by stuff, they just get digitized. 
Like fuck you. Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna give me the stakes of this world, you're gonna tell me that you know I don't know. This is this is a real thing that has real impact. Give me the goddamn gore. Don't pull that bullshit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair point. Yeah. What would you have preferred to see? Just people in pods be liquefied? No, not necessarily, but I just, like, I don't know. I, I think you're trying to have it both ways. Like you said, I think this was kind of intentionally, like, a less, it, it's less, and I don't know if even in praise, but in celebration of violence than, you know, the original trilogy was. And I think that's fine, but you can't have kamikaze fucking skyscraper jumpers and have it that way. You know, like, I just, you just can't have it both ways, in my opinion. I mean, definitely, you know, these guys did not want to cause another columbine when we have columbine 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh that's a good point that's Wait. a really good point um but no what i wanted what? to talk about is you know what i we i think we all rewatched the original matrix probably within the last year um, oh yeah i did this last week yeah. there you go and it's it's generally like pretty much from beginning to end a pretty evergreen movie uh, maybe you could nitpick at specific like technology things that are slightly outdated, but it kind of doesn't matter. The techno babble isn't really right. The the important part, like the actual movie, the story, everything about it, I think really, really holds up from beginning to about five seconds from the end when that fucking rage against the machine song shows up and it's awful. It like it dates the movie instantly where you're like, this is, this is an immortal classic. Oh no, this was made in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> I have the exact opposite opinion. Of Man, fuck. <laughs> me too. That I, I, I will never not get pumped when that. <laughs> well, when those I can tell in. you guys that that sticking to the guns and doing the same fucking song, but with a a, a band called Brass Against uh, at the end of this one was my fucking favorite thing in this movie. Good. I hated every moment about it, but when that happened, I was like, yeah, okay, that's a good, that's a good one. Do you guys know any of the recent stuff that has happened with Brass Against since oh, they no. made this decision? Oh boy, <laughs> I can't wait to be the one to tell you about this. <laughs> so, uh, Bra- uh, they were doing a uh, show like bands do. Uh, I think maybe they were doing a Rage song at the time. That's not the only metal songs they do, but I think they were doing that. And uh, the lead singer needed to urinate. Oh, that was this person. That was this group. And she invited a person on stage who said that they would like for her to piss in their face. And then she did that. No, that's not this group. That is this group. Oh, my God. Unless I'm completely wrong. If so, let us know. But I'm pretty sure that's this group. That might change my opinion of it because I did love that moment. But now I'm questioning myself. So I mean, the dude asked for it and she needed to pee. Consenting adults. That's fair point. Uh. I, I, the only thing I didn't like on it, this is this is very dorky, but I didn't like the mix. Her voice was way too out front. It was yeah, like yeah, listening yeah. to karaoke. Yeah, yeah. That said, I think the whole concept is bad, and having the horns in the background just did not do it for me. So I was not that upset with it. I like the concept, not the execution. Right. I'm uh, I'm more so on that board. Like I was like, uh, I mean, I don't know that this is great, but I like that you tried. Exactly. Right. Same. Right. Uh, Anyway, I think that's Matrix Resurrections. Is that Matrix Resurrections? Yep. It is for me, definitely. God, I hope they don't make another one of these. It doesn't I, seem likely. This makes me feel this makes me feel the farthest away from you guys I've ever felt. I need so Ian. This, I hadn't I hadn't looked in on this all. This is this not doing well? Uh no, it's not doing great. I mean, it was the most pirated movie of the week. And um I mean there's Wasn't two it big on issues. HBO? There's two yeah. big issues. It's it, it it day and date release. So HBO Max, 
which I do think it did pretty well on there. But you released it like five days after Spider-Man. Like, I don't get why you thought that was a good idea. And on the same day as like five other movies, this is the Matrix not learning the lesson of the Matrix. The Matrix (laughs) invented starting summer early. Yeah, you you push this thing. You could have pushed it to February. You probably made five hundred million dollars. But unless you're just like, well, shit's going to get bad again. So we're going to go ahead and get it out now. But I, I don't know. I don't think they made smart decisions. The Wachowskis say they're not doing another one but i feel like warner brothers is gonna go back to this well and you know what i hope they do oh god i mean it really seemed like it was setting up another one i i don't know if it was or not but the agent smith shit felt like an open end uh um, oh, for sure yeah you know it it seemed like it was setting up something else i i hope they do more too i i mean i thought this was a fun episode of this podcast so i would like to talk about <laughs> so that's the matrix resurrections uh, maybe there will be another one. Uh, I hope there won't be, but that's just me. Uh, that is what you should name this episode. <laughs> no, it yeah. should be Matrix Resurrections. Maybe there'll be another one. I hope there won't. <laughs> that should be the ni- name of this one. But anyway, what have we been watching this past week, guys? Um, I really only have like one thing to talk about because it's the only thing I've watched. Encanto, the latest of Disney's animation, just came out on Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. I mean, I know I've watched it at least four times and I work during the day. So God knows how many times my kids have watched it. Um, It's freaking excellent, guys. Like, it's so hard to describe how good this movie is. Yeah, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, Of course, the music just fucking kicks. Every song is great. Every song is my favorite song. And I feel like it really honors Colombian culture. But the plot is just so good it's not in any way i think a traditional kind of disney plot and uh it it really does well for that general concept is that there is this house and the house is magical and a family lives in the house and everyone there has a power except for one girl um her name is mirabelle and the house did not give her a power and the house is losing its magic and it's up to mirabelle to figure out what's going on and um yeah, like if you've ever suffered under familial expectation, this uh, this movie is for you. It's just it's it's excellent. It's way better than Transformers. I've watched it, like I said, four times. I've cried all four times, like every time the message hits home way too personally. And uh, I don't know what they're smoking over there at Disney. But ever since Tangled, I don't think Disney animation specific a bad movie. And uh, this just continues that of of it being excellent. So. Yeah. The only other thing I have to talk about, which is really stupid, but I have to tell someone. So it's going to be you two farts. <laughs> Today at work, we were talking about Rasputin for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Coincidentally, and unbeknownst to me at the time, today is the anniversary of his death. Shit's right. fucking weird. Right on. Like someone texted me that, that I was talking like, holy fuck, did you know that today was the anniversary? I was like, no. And she's like, how weird is that? So weird. So even from the grave, Rasputin's doing weird shit. Did you think you were in the Matrix when that happened? Kind of did. Kind of felt Matrixy for that. I saw a black cat twice. (laughs) Uh, Jones, I'm just going to go ahead and say you're firing on all cylinders today. Nips, you're also here. Um, uh, (laughs) But I I, I definitely needed to know there was a new Linwell manual. Whatever I'm supposed to say there. uh, Product today. And I have two, possibly three things to talk about, and you affected which one I'm going to talk about first. I watched Tick, Tick, Boom this week. Hey! Oh, yeah! And, uh, man, uh, you guys 
as much as you guys gushed over this, I think you all undersold it. This fucking shit's great. I actually don't really understand why Rent is the more known of these two properties. That was the one that was on Broadway. This one's just his like self-did show he did for a little bit. Oh, I guess. Well, then I guess I don't know why it succeeded more than this thing. Uh, I mean, look, I, I can tell you the reason for that. Would you want me to do that now or when it's my turn? Well, go ahead and tell me now. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's like a, a whole mythos behind Rent. Uh, so, Tick, Tick, Boom was originally not named that, and it was originally just a one-man show that Jonathan Larson did to, right. you know, not very many people when he wasn't that famous. Uh, you know, he got Rent produced. He died on the opening night. Um, and I'm not saying the movie, the, I don't know how successful the musical would have been if that hadn't become part of the legend, but it did. Right. Um, and I mean, like it, it is, I mean, it's, it's definitely like, I think it's own genre thing. Like he really does the whole, like merging the rock and classical, you know, Broadway styles pretty well. I think both of those things, a, a, a perfect confluence of timing, uh, including a tragic death, uh, made that, that musical so successful. So later. Other Broadway people uh, got together and turned Tick, Tick, Boom, or what was left of it, into a, a, a musical that was then produced ah. off-Broadway um, that came out, you know, several years after that, um, which I, I think it was successful, but, you know, it was, it was just such a, uh, like, a, a flashpoint thing. I think we've talked before on this, this show about how, like, Broadway is, like, it's really, there's a lot of stuff, but it's always about, like, one show for, like, five mm-hmm. to ten years and then it's one show for another five to ten years and rent just happened to be that one okay well th- that makes sense then because i what i was gonna say about it is i really feel like this is a way more organized telling of the same story yes you know it's the same story as rent but it tells it more efficiently with three with just three characters so you have more connection with it. uh you know this one like really grabbed on to me more emotionally than rent did you know, but that makes sense that, you know, this was actually organized afterwards. So, you know, of course it's more organized. I will say, too, that I like the songs better in this, particularly the one you can make a de- direct comparison of. The Bohemia song in this is better than the Bohemia song in uh, in Rent, which is honestly a little cringy. It, you know, it's so funny you say that because, like, as a kid, like, that was my my favorite song for, I mean, you know, it's, it's the Act 2 closer. I mean, the act one closer, it's the, the biggest production song in the, the whole show. And then coming right. back and rewatching it this year, and I watch it like every two years, I was like, this is pretty much just like two pop culture references and then a sex joke for five minutes. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> hey, hey. You know, no, it's, I, but I can see why. How old were you when you say you were a kid and you watched I mean, it? I was like 12. I was about to say, this is made for 12. I mean, that song is made for a 12-year-old. It's the night court of musical number. You guys are maybe not old enough for that, <laughs> but trust me, that joke just killed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, this movie, uh, uh, better than Transformers. I loved it. I'll probably watch it again. Andrew Garfield is goddamn awesome in this. Yeah, he's so uh, good in it, man. Also this week, uh, I watched Nightmare Alley. Uh, is, is any of oh. you guys watch that? No. Mm-mm. Uh you know, the thing is, I these kind of things where I know everybody hasn't seen it. I don't usually like to do a spoilers, but I'm going to do one very specific spoiler. So you're not like me waiting for the other shoe to drop. The supernatural part never happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a story about horrible shit happening around uh, a carnival mentalist. Better than Transformers, 
you know, of course, like all of uh, Guillermo's stuff, it fucking looks great. Uh, the biggest problem I have with the first half of it is that is that Bradley Cooper is supposed to be the young kid showing up and attaching himself to the carnival to shake things up. And every time they call him kid, I'm like, this dude's 50. Yeah, Bradley Cooper's he's- aged like 15 years and five years. Right. But I mean, he's literally in his mid to late 40s. He is, he is a kid by no stretch. Nope. Um, but man, uh, you know, Willem Dafoe, as always, is fucking awesome. The worst part about the movie is halfway through the movie, he just disappears, and then Kate Blanchett shows up, and she's also awesome, but I just w- keep waiting for Willem Dafoe to come back. Yeah. Uh, it's a great movie. No one's ever going to watch more than once. <laughs> it is a real, real bummer. There's a scene about two-thirds for the movie when you know exactly how the movie's going to end, and still when it ends the way it ends, it's a fucking gut punch. Mm. Uh, you know, I highly recommend watching this movie once better than Transformers. It's definitely going to sit in his catalog right beside Crimson's Peak, but I think it's better than Crimson. Crimson. Uh, the last thing, are, are we going to talk about Hawkeye next week? We sure can. We can. Well, there's just a specific thing in Hawkeye I need to talk about because I think I need to save the world. Okay. Okay. So I used to know this guy. I'm not going to say his name because he might listen to this someday and I don't want him to call him a dirtbag on this podcast and then him hear it. So I'm going to call him Bert. Uh, I used to know this guy named Bert and this is in the before four time. This is back when all of us said inappropriate shit to everybody. But, you know, we were mostly just trying to be funny. We call those the entourage times. Right. Bert was trying to be funny but Bert was also trying to be inappropriate. Bert was making a joke about his dick, but there was also, if at any point a lady would have said, hey, I don't think your dick is funny. I'm really interested in your dick. The thing he just said about his dick would cease being a joke. That's how I feel about the musical in Hawkeye. Yeah. Like, I think if we don't make it very clear that we don't want an Avengers musical, we're going to get one. They're they're waiting for us to tell them, hey, is that a viable revenue stream? And I I think as a people, we need to tell them it's not. I'm sorry, Hurt. I can't get on board with you here because I would 100% pay all of my money to go to an Avengers musical. I I have, through this podcast, really learned to love musicals. And of course, I love superheroes. But I don't think those are two great tastes that go great together. I don't think they're peanut butter and chocolate. I think they're peanut butter and hair. (laughs) <laughs> I'm with unsurprisingly Joseph on this one. Uh, I fucking love that bit. And it ties back to rent. That's true. Because, I mean, no, it totally does. I agree. No, because Adam Pascal is in that scene. Adam, I know. Yeah. The, I didn't pick it up. Joseph, you may have got it the first time, but the, the moment the after credits started, like when we see the song in the first episode, I didn't get it was him. But like the very first fucking note of of yeah. the um, after credit scene. I was like, oh, fuck, that's Adam Pascal. And then the whole thing, it was just like, I don't know. I think it was really well done ish. But uh, yeah, I would I would totally if we can do Harry Potter on stage, why can't we do an Avengers thing on stage? I mean, I mean, look, Hurt, I feel like your analogy for, uh, you know, the tone of this scene uh, comparatively to your friend there is very apt. Like it is a joke, but like 
It doesn't have to be. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm uh, just saying enough people died for Spider-Man the musical. Well, man, that's that's actually that's actually what I'm going to lead into uh, because you made me forget about it. There's a, a podcast that I haven't listened to in a long time uh, called Do Go On. This is going to be part of my what what I've been watching because I've watched it a million years ago, but it's very pertinent. And the the premise of the show it's it's three comedians, and one of them essentially uh, does like prepares what's functionally a book report, but like you know on just a thing, any particular thing. Um, and then tries to get through it. The other ones are constantly trying to derail them. And it's generally like a pretty informative and funny show. But the one on uh, Spider-Man and the musical is outstanding because like the actual <laughs> thing is so outlandish. It sounds like it's a comedy, like how it ever even started off the ground, much less to the point where people were literally dying in it. it it's ridiculous. Uh, and, and then, you know, you add the comedy. It's, it's generally good. It's a good episode. Man, I wanted to see it so bad, though. (laughs) The one thing I know about it, besides the person dying, is like, I think like Glenn Beck has the record of seeing it like a hundred times. Like he saw it like every day. (laughs) Like it just that that stat alone is mind boggling. (laughs) You tickled her. I laughed so hard at that. I got lightheaded. (laughs) That was great. Good times. I don't have that much else. I also watched uh, Tick, Tick, Boom with the wife this week. And I also really liked it. I can't agree with her. I can't say it's better than Rent, but I have. <laughs> okay, but would you at least agree this movie is better than Rent the movie? I would agree with that, without a doubt. I, we've talked about this a little bit. I feel like a lot of the times when they try and, and take the stage out of the musical, they lose a sense of space. And I don't right. feel like they had that problem with this one. I, don't I, fe- I was going to say that I think the smartest thing this did was to keep a stage act aspect even when they did the movie. Part. Yes, I agree. I think that worked out really well. I also feel like we don't we don't talk enough about how Andrew Garfield's got a pretty good American accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. After picking on Tom Holland and picking on Tom Holland in that Uncharted trailer, I'm like, I do genuinely forget that Andrew Garfield is British sometimes. Uh, dude, but, I don't think he's British in any movie. I feel like he's American in, in everything. Like he everything. Does. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, no, I mean this is this is a uh, a good time. It's uh, you know, I think Andrew Garfield's really good. I think the uh, the actor who plays Michael, his his best friend, is really good. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming so the, the musical is, is about for anybody who isn't aware, uh, you know, it's about Jonathan Larson, who wrote a musical uh, that didn't get picked up. And so it's got a, a mixture of like songs about kind of the creative process and being a starving artist and whatever. But then it's also intermingled with songs from the musical that never got produced called Superbia. And one of the things that I don't know, it just blows me away every once in a while uh, that. I don't know. I, I've I've been around the block plenty of times. Uh, you know, I I feel like I'm a reasonably musical person, and it's it's a line I really hate in uh, in A Star Is Born. But there really are only twelve notes, and so it's it's so delightful to me when somebody just arranges them in an order that I just haven't heard before. That's really unexpected. Uh, right. And the uh, the the track, the Come to Your Senses, which is one of the the tracks I guess from the Superbia musical. Was it's just such got a, such a delightful little melody that like it it really blew me away. I've listened to it several several times since I've watched this musical. It's very good. I will say you know one of the things I've talked about before when we talk about musicals that uh, Hamilton does well and actually Rent does well. Um, that I think more musicals need to do is have more recurring themes because one of the problems with with this is a lot of the songs you hear them once and then it's over and then you right. don't hear them again. 
which is, you know, by the time you get to the end of the song is just when you're starting to get familiar with it. And that's when you should start hearing it in other places. Uh, so if, if I hadn't really liked that one so much, I probably wouldn't have gone back to these songs. But now my YouTube algorithm is just feeding them to me. So I've been listening to uh, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom since like Monday. It's great. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit a good... Lin-Manuel is... I think he's the best at, at that. Um, well, I mean, you say that. That was my complaint. One of my complaints about In the Heights. It was something I think he really improved on in, in Hamilton over In the Heights. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the Encanto soundtrack, and, and there's a, he talks about this. There's an interview with him where he he's... There's a song called um, We Don't Talk About Bruno. And everyone in it, the chord structure stays the same. Every single person who sings, their melody is different. Mm. But then their melody sticks with them the rest of the show like the yeah, rest yeah, yeah. of the film so it keeps coming back up even you know over a different chord structure and stuff like that like it's really really impressive from a songwriting perspective i, I think that's really important for engaging you in a musical because otherwise it's just you know it, it's listening to an album for the first time uh you know yeah. you're, you're not going to get it it's, just, right. it's not going to be the same effect I do have another piece of of tick tick boom Spider Man trivia. Okay. Uh, while we're talking about Andrew Garfield, Andrew Garfield, of course, plays Spider Man and in Tick Tick Boom. But Jonathan Larson worked at the Moon Dance Diner, which is the same diner MJ works at in Spider Man One. Oh Good shit! Call. I knew I had seen that shit before. Yep. Oh, I had rewatched Spider Man One when we did Spider Man Three, and I had already yeah, yeah. seen Tick Tick Boom, and I was like, "Honey!" And I was like, "Stop!" And I was like, "Come here! Look, she works at the Moon Dance." <laughs> That's very good. Yep. Uh, this next thing I say about it might might be something you want to cut, but I just want to say it to you guys. Also, uh, Andrew Garfield is very where, uh, good at making himself look kind of weird. Yeah, that's his skill, man. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like that guy, you know, that guy looked kind of weird and and he doesn't like wear makeup or do anything really outlandish, but he makes himself look kind of weird in this. Yeah, he's got a very expressive body, too. Like I saw someone like break down him in the Spider-Man suit and like he moves just the most unnaturally when he's got that on. But you never question it. Like he just Mm. makes it work. Yeah, no, he's the most like Ditko Spider-Man come to life or for the younger generation. McFarlane Spider-Man come to life. There you go. Sorry, right. Joseph. Anything else? Oh, no, I'm done. No. All right. Uh, so next week, I guess we're not doing Hawkeye, or we are doing Hawkeye. I don't know what we're doing next oh, week. Oh, we could still do Hawkeye. I, I you know, I, I just said one part about that thing. We could still talk about I, I have lots more to say about that show. But we could also do year-end, whatever. That's true. Uh, you know, tentative, one of those two. It's a surprise. This one was a surprise, too, because it was supposed to be year-end. But surprise Matrix. But cool. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Please raise, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, if you had any thoughts about The Matrix, uh, someone else will read them. Uh, <laughs> you can email us at, at realfunnysgmail.com. No, actually, email me if you agree with me. Uh, and if not, just comment on the Facebook so Christian can look at it. <laughs> you can follow us at Real Phonies on uh, Facebook and Twitter and on uh, Instagram, Real underscore Phonies. Thanks to Zach Evans for Art and Brian Blaskis for our theme. We'll see you guys later. Later.